So if you haven't picked up on the theme yet for Lent, um, it's about this process I think we go through of discipleship, of, of maturing that we undergo in the church, at least hopefully you undergo, that you don't stay as you are when you come into the kingdom of God, but we're going someplace. Um, there's growing pains, and it's hard sometimes, and we walk through hard times, and it, that can change us. And the way that life affects us, the way that life is going to change us is often revealed by what we're allowing into our lives at that time. You know, if we've got a, a loving parent to, to guide us, if we have God himself to give us direction and help and healing and insight, or if we turn towards self-help, or if we turn towards the worldly wisdom, or if we turn towards our finances, the things that we can do to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, right? Those things begin to, to be in effect later on in your life where you, you learn a certain thing, like that the channel of your life has allowed, you know, well, whenever I get mad, I just do this. Right, I just lose myself to my emotions. I have to go punch a wall. You know, if you've ever seen like a 40, 50 year old man punch a wall, it's kind of embarrassing, you know? But it's learned behavior. You, that I don't know how else to process my anger. What, el what else can I do? I just have this, this, this rage and I've never learned a better way. And how, that, this is about that idea of turning away from certain things and turning towards other things. The good news is in the kingdom, it's never too late. You can make it harder on yourself, <laughs> but it's never too late. So we're framing this whole series in the idea of turning, that we turn away from some things, that we turn to them and say no to them, and that we don't give them the time, we don't give them the attention, we don't give them the resources so that we can say yes to other things. We only have so much that we can pay attention to at any point in time. We only have so much we can tend to. We have to say no. You have to say no to some things, even to some good things, because the Lord is leading you, and we have to acknowledge what that is. Last week we talked about repentance, we have to start by realizing that th this world is not our home, that this world is a place of brokenness, of, of war, of distress. And we're using, as Leo was talking about, these road trip songs, the, the songs of, of ascents that have been used to lead pilgrims on their approach to, to Jerusalem. This is where we're going. And, and I, I hope you, know, you can see where this is going, that we start far away and we, we turn from our sin, then we turn from ourself, we turn to the road ahead, we turn to his voice and we turn to Jesus. It's this whole idea of our posture, you know, coming into focus. You know, that, that every step of this is important. As we say no to things, we, we start saying yes to other things until we end up right there with Palm Sunday, acknowledging and seeing who Jesus is. And you could think that Palm Sunday is the end of it all because <laughs> you see Jesus, but then we have Easter. And, uh, and that's where this is gonna take us. Our Psalm today is 123 and I wanna read this for us now. I lift up my eyes to you, to you who sit enthroned in heaven, as the eyes of slaves looked to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a female slave looked to the hand of her mistress. So our eyes look to the Lord our God, till he shows us his mercy. Have mercy on us, Lord, have mercy on us, for we've endured no end of contempt. We've endured no end of ridicule from the arrogant, of contempt from the proud. Again, it has like this abrupt end. Like we, we, we are unsettled in this. Like it leads us that you have to take some action because of this, or you have to, to reckon with this. You're, you're kind of dropped off. And it's a wonderful place to be. And I think that as, as we talk about this, Lent is a, is a period of 40 days. We're, we're called to, to sit and to dwell with things. You, you say no to food and we say yes to, to the word of the Lord, right? We say, we say no to myself and we say yes to the Lord himself and to what he's leading us into. So from last week, after we've turned from the world and sin and repentance, we're going to talk about turning away from self-service, from catering to ourselves, 
from being overly attentive to ourselves. There's a little bit of nuance here, all right? We're turning from, from self, but we're not like cutting off self. We're not harming ourself. And, and I think that this is something that has been misunderstood in law of discipleship, where we want to pe- penalize ourselves, where we want to punish ourselves, where we want to, to really degrade ourselves to try to say, well, I, 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 I'm terrible and I need something better. That's not what this is about. But there is an over-attentiveness that we can give to ourselves, which is to our own ironic detriment. Discipleship takes nasty turns when it disparages self. The way I've come to experience the kingdom of God in my own life is that God has given me desires and passions. He's given me flesh and blood. And those things come alive when they turn their attention to my creator. There's the biggest difference in trying to to kill off our desires, to kill off our passions, because we think that there's got to be a better way. But when we realize that God has given us these appetites that can be used for good, that there's celebration of what he's given us, that's now discipleship. It's not punishments. It's not cutting off self and punishing this. It's saying, Lord, who have you made me to be? What can I do when I experience life to the full? We'll get into this a little bit more later, but I, I want to connect into Psalm these ideas that we have of, of service, of mercy, and injustices. So the Psalm starts off with this I lift up my eyes to you, to you who sit enthroned in heaven. And I think it is so easy for us to, to throw that away <laughs> and to think of it like a salutation, like, dear father, you know, or, or dearly beloved. You know, we, we, we read these things and you just kind of think, okay, but now let's get in, into the meat of it. And a lot of this comes from the approach that we have, I think, where we're reading these psalms or we're reading scripture trying to get a lesson, not to sit with the subject of what this is actually dealing with. This is such an important part that I think we phrase this with where our eyes are going to go with this. I lift up my eyes to you, to you who sit enthroned in heaven. We can have a, a low view of God or a high view of God, right? Our worship will betray us. It will reveal what's in our hearts. The way that we serve will reveal who we are. We go to where our eyes look. We seek out that level. They say water seeks out its own level. Christians will seek out our own level. Often our hope is just worldly. Often our, the, the best that we can imagine is down here. And we forget that there's a whole wealth in heaven for us. We forget that there's the heart of the Father calling us to something better than what we have here. It's easy for us to skip over, I lift my eyes up and enthroned in heaven because we hear them so often. Last week, we talked about Nebuchadnezzar. When he repented, he lifted his eyes. And he saw that he is the king of kings. And I'm, I'm one of those kings, but I'm not the king of kings. The Lord himself, he is the king of kings. It's that same sentiment here. Where we look to God, how we view him matters. We can look across to God or down at God, and we see a portion of his reflected glory, and we think that that's all that there is. I see a portion of God in my children, and it's wonderful but it's not God himself. I see a portion of it when I look at my wife. I see Leah, and I see that, that there's goodness there, but that's not all there is to it. And we can just get stuck in thinking that this little bit of heaven that I've seen, this little bit that I've experienced, that's all that there is when there's so much more. This is important for anything and everything that follows. We're not looking at ourselves here. In fact, the absence of self in here is really the amazing part about the psalm. It's not that self is called out. Self is just kind of ignored because it's not relevant to what we're talking about. As we go, go into service, as we go in, into this idea, 
I just go along with that. I, I'm the passenger in that whole thing. It, it's where I'm looking. It's where I'm going because my eyes are there. It's first about God himself. With a low view on God, our worship's either forced or shallow or self-serving. I don't know if you've ever worshiped in those ways, but I have. And you walk away thinking, oh, okay, some songs, and we sing them, and then we move on. And now, now tell me in the message what, what, how this is relevant to me. And we, we think that that's it because I want to get something out of this. And we think, if I can just get this tweetable quote, <laughs> if I can just write that thing down, then I'm going to know that I was at church. I, I'm going to know that, that like, I got something out of this. Our worship will betray us. It'll betray where our eyes go and what we see and what we gravitate towards. I think literally some of us may not be able to recognize Christ if he walked through this room itself. If Jesus were to walk in here, would we know that he was our savior? Would we be able to embrace mystery? Would we have patience and long suffering? No, thank you. I don't like those at all. I'd rather just get the tweetable quote and say, I, now I understand something of the kingdom of God. It's upsetting, I think, as a pastor in particular to realize that I've been wrong about something as big and important as who God is himself. If you've ever had that experience of just realizing God is bigger than what I thought. I, I thought he was this way, but he's, he's not. It's a problem. <laughs> and you, you're stuck with this reality of what do I do now? I, I, I kind of built all this stuff around here and, and to realize it's always been good, though, to fall back and to realize, and I can trust him. He's not as I thought he was. And it's somehow better. That if, if we reduce God to these things, we're really just cutting off part of his goodness and how we can experience him and how we can know him. So where do you look to see God, church? Very literally. This is a question for you. Where do you see him? Where do you experience him? How do you know him? The psalmist here says, I lift my eyes up. I don't believe God is among the stars, but I, I do look up literally with my eyes when I'm praying many times. I think as much as anything to get my eyes away from the other things that I see here. I just don't want to be surrounded by those things. I just don't want to have them be my focus. So I, I literally in my time look up. I, I have a, a window when I am in my office and, and I'll often open the window and I took the screen out because actually I hate looking through the mesh screen. So I have no screen and sometimes I'll leave it open. I'm praying then bugs will fly and it's feels very unspiritual in that moment, but it's still the best thing that I have to get away from the screens that, I, that are defining my workday, to get away from these pressures and things and to look out and say, Lord, where are you? I need you. I need something beyond what I can control and see myself. And yes, with clear eyes, he's visible in all of creation. It's amazing. We can see our neighbors as, as God does and allows us to see him and each other but this low view on God, we see dimmer and dimmer reflections of his glory. I've got these, these pictures. This first one is, is a, this is actually me and, and the old leader of, of the Vineyard Partnership in, in, in Russia. And it was just this wonderful moment, never thinking I'd be there. And, and I have this. And now, now here it is, close up, just so you can get kind of an, an example for this. We've all been on the internet for long, if we understand where this is going. Now here's the next thing, where you all of a sudden get, oh, <laughs> It's been compressed down and we're losing clarity. We're losing visibility to it. And then that same area here, I don't know if you've seen that meme, needs more JPEG. This is the world that we often have whenever we're looking at reflections of his glory diminished and diminished and diminished. And whenever we go to secondhand, thirdhand, fourthhand, people to, to try to tell me, and we feel like we're grandchildren of God himself or great-grandchildren 
Or we talk about those, those old days. We, we, we look to, to the wisdom of, of writings and we, we open up all these other things. You have the word of God given to you, spoken to you. You have the person of the Holy Spirit poured out on all flesh. And yet we keep looking at things like this. And it's, it's not that it, you can't tell what it is. You, you can make it out that it's me in that first photograph. You, you can see it's still there a little bit, but we've compromised our view. And, and we said, well, that's, that's enough for today. I want to encourage you, lift your eyes to the heavens. You know, get the real view on who God is and what he's saying. Spend that time in his presence. There, there's no, e- even a church service, as wonderful as, as it is, and hopefully it is, it's going to be just a small semblance of what your time with the Lord is meant to be. Like, go to the source. He's the vine, we're the branches. And that's the invitation, is, is to be with him, to see him, to acknowledge him, to, to have that time. I see God with these experiences with the Holy Spirit, wrestling with scripture. And it is often an arm wrestling match that I have with scripture saying, Lord, I know this is you. Help me, lead me. They force me to look up to God and come to him. You're always a better person for it. The posture of waiting on the Lord as servants, as slaves that this talks about is upsetting to us often. But it's distinctly different than the posture I think we often have of waiting on the Lord as we understand and practice it often in this room. We, we, we think and we listen and we, we present ourselves to God saying like, would you speak because here I am you know, listening and give me this wonderful word that's gonna be beautiful and pretty and like a love letter and I can share with everybody and it's great. And we have that experience and it's true and it's good. But there's a different thing in this psalm where we're waiting for him as the master to tell us what to do. Where we're not waiting to tell him what we want him to do. <laughs> we're saying, Lord, what would you have us do? I'm, I'm, I'm at your beck and call. I'm ready for you to tell me. What, how, how would you spend me today? Are, are you thirsty, God? Do you need a drink? Are you hungry? Do you need some food? What, what do you want to do today? How can I serve you? How can I, how can I prepare this world for your presence? What do you need? Can I lay low every mountain? Can I straighten the path so that your feet can walk on it? When he is the master, and we are there to serve him, when we listen, it's different. And that's what the psalmist is talking about. It's not this idea of feed me, Lord, I'm hungry. Though there's actually psalms where it talks about that. In this psalm, what we see is we serve the living God. He is the master, and we are the servants. So to appreciate mercy, we have to first reckon with a God who's beyond us, who could undo us, a God who's the master when we are not. Uh, a high view on God ties into his mercy, so we're going to go into that in a little bit. Three times in this very short psalm, very short psalm, we have a cry for mercy. That's kind of amazing, right, that you could fit in a theme so quickly, and yet if you read it, you might not even think about that. But three times it cries out for mercy. Micah 6, 8, we had a whole series, probably spending more time on Micah 6, 8 than what you thought we could. But we, we were called to love mercy, And if we understand mercy as compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it's within somebody's power to punish or harm, our theology might get a little messy. Because we kind of don't like that in today's society. We, We steer away from that. A lot of us have been through church hurt and church experiences where we've actively laid down this idea of sinners in the hands of an angry God, right? And now when we talk about mercy, are we going back into that God could undo us all? Do we understand that? 
God is that someone. He could punish us. We could be harmed by him. Let me tell you, we don't want to waste our time with a God who is lesser than what he is. I, I just, I have too many other things in my life, you know, that, that, I, that I can spend my time on, that if we're going to have a small picture of God, if we're going to demean who God is, it's probably not worth our time. Dashboard Jesus. <laughs> I'll let y'all sit with that one for a second. <laughs> We don't want to waste our time with a God who's lesser, who can maybe boost the things that, that we ourselves are doing naturally, whose maybe wisdom matches that of, of Greek philosophers, whose direction matches the things that we already want to be doing. <laughs> a God who we'd view with contempt because we could figure him out and we can order him about. Is that really a God that is going to compel you to worship at all? Are you going to look up to him and, and say, you're worthy of my praise. You're, Lord, I, I give myself to you. Or are you going to be like, no, God, you, you take care of me. I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. You, you cater to my needs. And I'm going to tell you what I need today. With a low view on God, we realize that what we expect is to be serviced by God for our own desires rather than serving him. Would you trust, oh, back to, back to uh, Dashboard Jesus. Would you trust that guy with all of your burdens? <laughs> Would you trust him to really bring justice to a world that needs justice. To right the wrongs that you yourselves have seen and experienced, the things that have been done to you. Do you think that, that he could undo any of those things or is he just going to bobble his head up and down as you go down the road? Does he confound you? Does he compel you? No. There's little mystery with this picture of God that we have. What we can expect from God, though, isn't that he paints the world to suit us. We can expect that he makes himself known through mercy. And here's the next slide. Mercy is how God has made himself known. He is sovereign, he is mighty, he is goodness and justice, and yet he comes as a servant. That first part is never lost as he comes as a servant. And yet he sacrifices himself for us. That's mercy. He doesn't come as, as, the, as the reigning king and that we're all undone, that his vengeance and wrath is poured out on all flesh. He comes and he washes feet. He comes and he bleeds and he dies because that's what the world demanded of him. He is sovereign, he is mighty, he is goodness and justice, and yet he comes as a servant. It's the idea that God intends good for us, that his heartbeat is good for us, it's not about what we deserve, good or bad. It's about what he intends and what he plans. The cry for God to come near is always a cry for mercy. When we want the Lord to come close, when we want to see him, we're crying, mercy, Lord. Would you come close? That God's power would come close to benefit us and not to destroy us. It's a cry that recognizes and honors who God is while trusting him and still desiring him. How did you learn not to play with fire? Literally, as a child. Most of us burned ourselves. Uh, my, my friends and I, we, we, the dumbest thing we ever did, truly, the, you're, this is really dumb. We, we were a little bit of pyros. And, and I remember this one time we were behind my friend's house and reason just left us. And we poured gasoline down the side of his house and lit it. And as soon as we lit it and his house went up, we looked at it and we thought, 
that was dumb. <laughs> and we all agree. Yeah, Karis is looking at me like, you did this? Yes, I did this. This is after we stuffed a tennis ball full with match heads and tried to see what that would do. Kids don't do this. This is, this is not life lessons to learn. But, but we learn these things, right? You play with fire, you get burned. We saved the house. We, we, we threw enough dirt on there. Thankfully, we actually didn't pour as much gasoline as maybe I made it sound like. But that is a true story. And, and, and Daniel and David, my friends I did it with, they would, they would say the same thing. We just forgot for a reason that fire burns. And it was one of the dumbest things I've done in my life. Maybe not the dumbest, but for the, up until that point, I'll tell you, that was the dumbest thing. I would test myself against my dad almost nightly. You know, as a little kid, you, you, you box or you wrestle. I'm talking about like when I'm five or six. For some reason, I had no concept of my size as a five or six-year-old. And I would just want to get into a, a wrestling match with him. And, you know, and I, I'd go to him and I'd tussle and I'd, I'd, I'd throw a few punches and, you know, and he'd play along until either he got tired or was just like, didn't even know his own strength. And then you get shook by reality. It's like, oh my goodness, my dad is amazing. He's a superhero man of such strength I didn't know. You have this wake-up call to who he is and who I am, right? We cry mercy, not give me what I want. We cry mercy, not reward my good behavior so that my neighbors are envious. We cry mercy, not punish me for my bad behavior so that I feel better. The cry of the Christians say, Lord, come close, is a cry for mercy. Mark 10 then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. People make a lot, a big deal about throwing his cloak aside because as a blind man, you're probably going to hold on to your cloak. So if you throw that aside, you're giving in to this moment. You're, you're, you're all in. You're committed. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. God's goodness came to Bartimaeus. He didn't earn it. There, were, there wasn't a quiz here like, well, now tell me about the lineage of David. Now tell, tell me about the, the generations between David and me. Now explain to me how the, a theology of faith versus works. You know, there, there's no earning that's here. What are, what are 10 good things you did before you came to me today? There's none of that here. He didn't earn it. Your faith has healed you can make us think, though, that Bartimaeus had a really strong faith muscle, that, that he, he flexed, and Jesus saw that. He goes, ooh, that's a guy that I need on my team. Look at, look at how strong his faith muscle is. But no, he had faith in God himself. It's the object of his faith. Son of David, have mercy on me. You are good. You are powerful. I trust you to come close. I trust that when you come to me, it's for my benefit, not for my harm. I trust in who you are and what you would want to do with your creation. He trusted in God himself being so powerful and so good and extending a hand of mercy. Mercy is personal. It's personal. It requires an interruption, an intentionality on the part of the person with power. If Jesus is just walking down the street, if he's not interrupted, it's going to pass you by. If you call for mercy, you're interrupting the flow of things. You're saying, 
Look at me. Spend time with me. So what is God doing? He's preparing to make all things new. He's remaking heaven and earth. He's conquering death as the final enemy. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And you're going to tell me you interrupt him because you're feeling a little down today? Because somebody was mean to you? Yes. <laughs> Let's go back to the psalm. We've endured no end of ridicule from the arrogant of contempt for the proud. People were mean to me. God have mercy. You're the Lord of lords. You're the king of kings. You're ordering the entire universe. I'm the servant waiting on you. And somebody was mean to me. I'm trivializing it a bit. It's more than that. But you hear what I'm saying. That's the boldness of knowing the goodness of God. That's the boldness of calling to Jesus walking down, have mercy on me. That's the boldness of us as a sinner saying, Lord, would you notice on me? I, I trust you, Father, that if you see me, you're not gonna punish me. You're not gonna, you're not gonna make me undone. I, I trust your mercy. I trust your character. I know enough about you to say, come close. We've endured no end of ridicule from the arrogant, contempt from the proud. So we pray to him, we attend to him, we cry for mercy. I don't know if you can relate, but sometimes there are situations where I don't want to help because of the way that somebody asked me. <laughs> you know? Give me 20 bucks. No. <laughs> but you've got, you know, 100. I don't care. No, I'm not, it's just not that way. Right? I would have given you 20 bucks. I would have given you a ride. You know, you, you, you see with kids sometimes. Not my kids. Other kids. <laughs> right? You, you see a mess, and it's like, clean my bathroom. No, you clean your bathroom, right? This dinner is gross. You know what? You can make your own dinner. <laughs> the posture of calling to the Lord for mercy as a servant, of being attentive to him, of putting him first, realizing that he is the king, realizing that he is the Lord, that we are his servants, and yet there's mercy for us there. This psalm is talking about all of that, that tension there, that beautiful nuance of this. A high view on God, getting rid of this dashboard Jesus. Looking at the reflected image of God or thinking that, that that's all that there is to it. Or looking up to heaven and saying, Lord, come close. So service. This is verse two. As the eyes of, of slaves look to the hand of their master. As the eyes of a female slave look to the hand of their mistress. So our eyes look to the Lord our God. The progression of life of a disciple goes like this, all right? From oppressed to freedom to service. Some of us, we just camp out in, in oppression and we just feel stuck there and we just never really make our way past it. But then sometimes we've experienced the salvation of the Lord and we have freedom. And it's so wonderful and we revel in freedom. We enjoy our freedom and some of us hang out there. We don't continue on this road to salvation because I've been set free and I can do whatever I want now because the Lord has forgiven me and I have grace and so, ha! <laughs> you know, it's no longer going to be punishment for me. I am delivered. But then, after freedom, we can find service. There's people who celebrate the rhetoric of freedom of liberation but scorn the wisdom of service and it doesn't actually lead you into glorious liberty in the kingdom of God, but a cramped and covetous squalor. 
that might sound really confusing because that's not what you'd expect. You think that if you have freedom, it's going to be wonderful, but freedom without direction is often just going to be like, well, what do I do now, right? And, and you can almost get bored sometimes, and I don't, I don't even know what to do. Like, it's the blank page. It, it's that, that blank canvas. You, you could do anything. What do you possibly fill it with? And is it going to be really that good if you're not actually giving it back in service to who the Lord is? The alternative to the path of the disciple is a path to indulgence. Galatians 5.13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Freedom to service is what we're called to. The language around slavery feels ancient and far off and can make us uncomfortable because we have such a history within our country as well. Thankfully, we've been redeemed of that. We're moving away from it. But this I experience of servitude and oppression is still among us. This is a quote from Eugene Peterson. We live in a nation of complainers and a society of addicts. Everywhere we turn, we hear complaints. I can't spend my money the way I want. I can't spend my time the way I want. I can't, um, by myself, I think I lost a word there. I'm under the control of others all the time, and everywhere we meet the addicts. Addiction to alcohol and drugs, to compulsive work habits, and to obsession, uh, obsessive comp- consumption. We trade masters, but we stay enslaved. The Christian is a person who recognizes that our real problem is not in achieving freedom, but in learning service under a better master. Service to God, service to others, as he would do, that we sit on him, we listen to him, we obey him, because he's got a better call for us, because he has mercy for us. Others aren't mentioned here. The type of service in here isn't mentioned. It's just, God, we're going to listen to you. We're going to do what you tell us. But we know, looking at scripture, how much he calls our attention to our brothers and sisters, how much he calls us to set the oppressed free, to work for justice, how much he calls us to to labor in this world to provide for those who are needy, to share what we have with those who don't have it yet. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. (laughs) Romans 12 through 16 is very, very practical. If you want to follow up on this, read Romans 12 through 16, put it into practice. That's all the scripture you might need for like a year or two. If you live Romans 12 through 16, you're set. A paraphrase of of Romans 12, 1 is this. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Let's start there. That's service. Let's give it to God. John 13. When he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Jesus, in getting ready for the Last Supper, this whole idea of what we're doing with with Lent, this whole idea of, of Palm Sunday and where we go from that, communion, all of this stuff, Jesus wrapped it a towel around his waist and wash the feet of his disciples as a slave, as a servant would do for his master. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the life of the disciple. This is finding your way from freedom to service. In your church today, are we having a cry for mercy or are we ordering God around? Christ took this posture of a servant 
and we're often comfortable with him there. It feels nice, puts us up a peg, and we feel, oh, I, I now get the secret for this. It distressed Peter <laughs> to see his Lord bow down to wash his feet. No, said Peter in verse eight, you shall never wash my feet. I get that, but church, I feel like we've lost that first part of this, where, where we walk in there and Jesus wants to wash your feet, like, yeah, you missed a spot, you know? How dare we? Mercy, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. It's not because he won't wash your feet. It's not because he won't care for you, but the attitude, the approach betrays who we are, what we've allowed into our hearts. I'm going to give a, a, I'm going to shorten this in section for your benefit. (laughs) I just want to say this, that we, uh, we misunderstand healthy service. We've, um, I've talked about the spiritual doldrums, the idea that, that sometimes we can stall out, the idea that sometimes we, we lose our, our passion in our, in our direction. And when I shared that a few weeks ago, not to call out any names, but a lot of people came up to me saying, that's me. I've been going through this. I, I don't even know where I'm going anymore. And, and I, I thought that, that you know, a good Christian response to that is service. Love others, you know, spiritual maturity, discipleship. I, I was woken up, though, literally, by the thunderstorms the other night wrestling through this in, in my own, like I, I'll read a scripture like when I know I'm gonna be preaching on just like mess with it for the whole week. And so in my dreams, I was going through this psalm and everything and I was woken up with just this word going through me that Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. If there's not a scripture to wrestle with, that's one. Jacob is a selfish jerk. <laughs> if you read who Jacob was, he was a deceiver. He was a trickster. And all he cared about was himself. You, you don't see him like making the, the, the pilgrimages and like, you know, doing all these wonderful things and caring for his family through the old age. You, you don't see, you see him being a jerk and he's selfish and he pulls it all to himself as best as he can. Then he gets scared and protects himself. And he wrestles with God. He gets given a good name, Israel. And then they continue to call him Jacob. <laughs> like it didn't stick the same way that Abram became Abraham and Sarah, you know, and Sarah. Like, no, it, it was still Jacob. Because he who wrestled with God, you know, that whole thing? No, he's the deceiver. He's Jacob. Jacob I have loved. Esau I have hated. Lord, why? What does that have to do with anything? Why, why are you bringing me here? I could preach just about selflessness. Because that sounds good and I'll preach. But I, this is again where I feel like our discipleship loses something. We euthanize ourselves when we reduce ourselves to worms. And we think, no, none for me. I, 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 I'm irrelevant to this. I should be punished. I should be forgotten. God, you're everything, and I am nothing. And then we're not, as, as blind Bartimaeus, calling out mercy on me. I want to see. We, we sacrifice. We euthanize our discipleship out of this desire to, to, to be low, to, to exalt him. God is not exalted the lower you get. God is not exalted the lower that you make yourself. God is lifted up. Love each other as you love yourself. Doesn't make a lot of sense if you hate yourself. (laughs) Lift each other up to that level. Know who the Lord has made you to be. It's the same way that, that, we, that we don't want the Lord to be lowered whenever we're saying you are, we have a high view on God. Have a high view on yourself as you serve. Does that make sense? Raise yourself up 
and then raise each other up even higher. <laughs> it's this whole idea of blessing exorbitantly, going further and further. Melissa, she has this whole thing. She doesn't have to hear this part of the sermon because she's got this one down, right? Whenever she says, I'm God's favorite. <laughs> Everybody, we're all God's favorite. Lift yourselves up and lift each other up even higher than that. That's the call to Christian service. It's not this, oh, woe is me and despicable me and, and I, I deserve to be punished and I, oh, I'm, I'm a terrible human and God don't even look on me. I get that emotion. I understand that feeling. But the Lord made you, crafted you, loved you, called you, purposed you. And then he says, yeah, go and do likewise. The artistry of Christian service is serving others not at the degradation of yourself but to the benefit of all. Christ was not degraded on the cross. They tried. <laughs> they stripped him bare. They mocked him. And even still, we wear the cross. Why? It's a site of victory <laughs> where he could not be overcome. You could take his very life and he would not be degraded because he's the Messiah because he's Jesus beautiful, because he's the wonderful Messiah, because he's the King of kings, the Lord of all, the Prince of peace. And when you saw him in the light of the resurrection glory, he lost nothing on the cross. You could strip him bare, you could make fun of him, and Jesus remains who he is. Let's not euthanize our Christianity and our idea of service. There was a, a guy who came into our, our, our church when I was serving at Raleigh. We called him Angry Ed because he was angry and his name was Ed. Um, <laughs> and uh, he came by and he sat in my office and he just yelled at me for like, seriously, probably about an hour about how unfair life was and how it wasn't fair that, that I had a car and he didn't. And here's the thing. I actually believed him. I, I kid you not, th this is me. I was this close to giving him my car. Leah would have not been happy. But, <laughs> but it's just this idea of like, yeah, why would I have something and he doesn't? That's not fair. You know, and it's like, well, I've had a job. I'm working two jobs. I'm a pastor and I have this thing at the church and I went to college and I, I, I you know, and, and I got a little indignant at times, but I still like, th this idea that, that we've got to lower ourselves to lift our brothers up is just a lie. That's not the picture of the kingdom of God. And this is not exalt yourself. This is serve each other and trust the goodness of the Lord. There's a nuance here. And I hope you don't hear the message that I'm not preaching. But I hope you do hear what I'm saying. We've accepted a false church, a, a false choice church, because we don't really want to do the work or practice beautiful service. We, we have this false choice of you win or I win. But it can't be both. Either I lower myself and I look like Mother Teresa, you know, and I, I serve the, the lowest of the low, or I'm going to be a businessman and I get my 401k as strong as, as I can through this market through some miracle. You know, wh whatever we're thinking, those are the options. That's a false choice. Christian service is somehow that you are glorified as the created son and daughter of the Lord and you serve each other with passion and loyalty and you lower yourself as a servant to them. All right. So what do we do with this? I don't know. Maybe you found yourself in, in rebellion. Maybe, maybe you realize that you have a dashboard, Jesus, literally or metaphorically. But let's set that right. 
Like, some of us, I think, need to see the Lord as he is. We need to allow him to be the Lord. We need to allow him to be the son of God. We need to allow him to be the king of kings. Second thing is I, I think sometimes we imagine the voice of the Lord. We, uh, we want to be our own masters. We, we put words into his mouth rather than letting him speak to us and direct us. We can look to heaven and hear our master's voice and respond simply, speak because your servants are listening. That's what I have for us this week in the, your Lenten practice. If you will lift your eyes up to see him, if you will offer your service to him, to your brothers and sisters, I can just about guarantee you <laughs> you're going to see the Lord clearly. You're going to make this world a better place. And you will move out of that, that fumbling place of either oppression or freedom into who the Lord's made us to be. And it's going to feel good. It's going to fit correctly. Because those are the clothes we're made to wear.